You know, um, for those of you who are new here, I always feel, there's things I feel like sometimes the Holy Spirit just kind of speaks in my heart. And, um, well, he speaks a lot of things, but I think he uses all of our past experiences that we've gone through, and sometimes in church, and, and uses that to make us aware of, of things that go on in people's minds. Now, some of you that maybe are just trying to discover the Lord in your life, this may freak you out a little bit. That sometimes the Lord is like, it's like I'm getting this download of what some th- thoughts are going on in here. And, and I want to just, this is not my sermon. I want to take a moment and share with you some thoughts that were just happening. God many times uses what we're currently going through too as an object lesson. And Wednesday and last Sunday I bought up references. Jen and I are trying to get back into fitness. We'd, we'd been eating horribly. And, and uh, during our house build is just basically staying somewhat in shape because we're working everything off. But, but some of you might here today have struggled through relationships in church or even with the idea of ever going to a church or ever even ever whether God existed. It may, there may be a million questions. You might be at a different spot way different spot than someone across the aisle from you. But I want you to understand from a guy who has kind of, I've run from the Lord, I've been in all different kinds of crowds and different situations. And I remember some of the thoughts I had. I remember some of the questions and doubts. I remember those things. And so I, I realized I can't assume everyone sitting in this building today that we're all at the same spot in life. We all have the same idea about God. We all have the same idea about church. Some of us might have gone to some really traditional churches where we're stuck in religion, but not a vibrant relationship with God. And then there's others who were doubting God existed, who maybe visited that church and saw that religion, and it gave them disdain for the whole thing and thought it was all fake because they saw a version that really could have been better. Let me tell you something. One thing I'm learning about life that God has been showing me is that anything you get into there's going to be a copy or a fake of it. And if you base your ideology, if you base your belief system on the fact that if I see something fake, then the whole thing doesn't exist, then you're in trouble in a lot of things in life. From the atheist, to the agnostic, to the charismatic, to the Catholic, to the whoever, you're in trouble in life. And, and what I mean by in trouble is that you're going to continue to search and search and search in life and be restless and never settled, because inside you is this war going on with the fact that you want to find something true in life, you want to find something that's real, but you don't trust people because people let you down. You don't trust systems because systems are broken. You don't trust ministers because they've fallen. You don't trust government because they've done people wrong. There's a million scenarios. Now let me take you down to just kind of a little funny example. My wife and I participated in several different disciplines of life. One would be Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. We've done that class here. It's a faith-based financial planning. It's not get-rich-quick scheme. It's not selling anything. It's just budgeting and learning from a biblical standpoint how to biblically handle your money so that you're smart with it and you don't mess it up. And Dave Ramsey does it in a funny way. But his system, if you want to say, and yes, he makes money from that, but he's teaching about when he had made a lot of money from real estate and lost it all and done dumb things with zeros on it. Now, when I was at Walmart, I had the opportunity to begin, uh, not, we never teach that class, Dave teaches it through video, but to coordinate that class. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people go through that course. And what I've seen is there's always a small percentage who will believe that they 
know better than Dave, even though he's the one who has helped millions go through this, and they will tweak the program to fit them. And because of that, they'll fail in some area. And at the end, they'll go tell all their friends that thing doesn't work. I just had a conversation with someone about this recently. Now, the other side is I've been into fitness multiple times in my life and failed multiple times. And what I've noticed is people will try a diet or whatever, and they won't fall up to the T, but yet they won't tell everybody that. And then they'll say, that thing doesn't work. I tried it. It doesn't. And they'll look at the before and after pictures. And here's this guy who you can tell is intentionally pushing his gut out as far as he can. <laughs> and you can tell he does have some physique under there, but he's entered this thing, pushing out, trying to look as large as he can. And then the next picture is everything sucked in. And he is, you know, he's made some changes. But, and so we critique that. And look at that. And look how he, oh, this and that. And we are armchair quarterbacks through life picking apart anything who says it will help us because we've seen something not work or we failed in some way and so we blame the system or we blame the program. And you know, I imagine God is tired of getting blamed for people's inconsistency in following his word. And for them blaming the mess in their life because they tried going to church and someone did them wrong and so therefore God's system fails. Watched the movie God's Not Dead when it came out. I've seen it a couple times. Very good movie because it's exactly what the battle is going on in our culture today between the intelligent and the rest of us. Those who claim that they can see clearly that we are blinded and using a crutch to live life because of our faith. But let me tell you something. If I walked into the gym when I back in 1990, uh, when I was in a gym and a guy came along to help me and he was uh, 1951, he was in the 1951 Mr. USA contest. The guy's 64 years old and built, and he comes and says, I can help you. And just for a moment, I was mobile, and I said, okay, I'll try it. And by some circumstance, for the first time in my young life where my parents had tried so many times to get me to do things, and I would never do what they said, for this guy, I decided to do everything he said. Because I could see by his life that whatever he did must work because at 64 years of age, the guy was in incredible shape, better than most 20-year-olds in there. So I followed it. In a year and a half, he changed my life. In a family where we didn't get into sports, we were into cars, uh, motorcycles, but we weren't into fitness. And it changed some perspective in my life, and it helped me in different areas. Same with the financial piece. Jennifer and I did. It was discipline, but we followed. The first time we took it, we changed this plan, did we not? And we failed, so we took it a second time. And the second time we did it, literally changed everything about money for us and we know it works and you can talk till you're blue in the face about all the problems with Dave Ramsey and you're not going to get anywhere with me because we are debt free but our house because of that man's program that he let God lead him and faith based financial planning we are at least every once in a while trying to make our lives healthy enough so we can be healthy for ministry to minister to people so we're not sick all the time and you get what I'm saying this isn't a health fitness class this morning this isn't a financial planning class what i'm telling you is that what the holy spirit was dealing with during service is that some of us are still hung up whether you've been a christian many years or you you still have never given your heart to the lord we're so hung up in the fact if we see something fake then we just throw everything out that has to do with that and i'm telling you as a guy today who has made so many mistakes don't fall into that Everybody's in such unrest, the riots, the stuff we're seeing in our, our world, the things that's scary to us, the, all this starting. It's because people are unwilling to discipline their lives long enough to find out, is this really real or not? 
And when you go in and you say, well, I prayed that my loved one would live and they didn't, so I don't have any more to do with God. I prayed he'd save my finances and he didn't, so I don't have any more to do with God. I prayed this and it didn't happen. But yet we never took time to learn his word enough to know that he doesn't ever always do exactly what we want him to do because sometimes it's not for the best for his kingdom. And sometimes there's reasons behind that we'll never know because it says his ways are higher than ours. Oh, Pastor CJ, that's baloney. Well, that's just an excuse so that you can say, I don't understand. No, I'm not saying that. Because the closer you get to God, he begins to open your eyes and you grow and mature. And you get to be finally like where Job was, where everything got stripped from him and he still said, but my God is good. Because Job wasn't privy to the conversation between Satan and God. When, Job was, when Satan was saying, I'm going to try to tempt your man and he's going to curse you. And God's saying, for my kingdom's sake, so that others will, from Job's story, know that I'm a God who will restore then everything but his life you can take from him. Oh, but that's harsh. Well, if you don't believe in eternity in heaven, then yes, it is. Because Job had to waste part of his life and lose a lot of things that, that we all try to obtain and family and love and hang on to him in this life. And so, yes, he lost. But God, knowing that one day in eternity, that if Job's faithful, Job would receive more than anything he could ever imagine. And all those things would be so temporary and minute in the grand scheme of things, that Job himself understood, it's okay. This is burning deep in my heart. I just got back from a, from a motorcycle ministry trip. And I'm going to be honest with you, in my spirit, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I understand about bringing light into dark places. I understand about the ministry that I do apart from New Song and the Bonsai's Motorcycle Club, I understand it's vital and there's a need for it, but in my spirit, I'm just, you know, some of those places, it's so dark and the people seem so stubborn and so stuck on ruining their lives that, like Jonah, I want to say, let them have their disgusting life. I'm being real with you this morning, okay? If you want to throw stones, it's fine, but if you haven't ever felt that, I don't, I don't know, we're different. How do you witness to a person who's drunk off their rear end and you're trying to tell them about the Lord and everything's a joke to them? I don't know. Once or twice I've seen the Holy Spirit sober someone up, someone up instantaneously and then come to know the Lord miraculously. But 99% of the time, does it happen? Not for me. I, I leave my, my beautiful wife and my, my kids who I love and I love to spend every minute with them. I leave them for a weekend to go to minister to these people who will, will mock and laugh at God and will... We'll do all kinds of things. It, we're, what we're getting at here this morning, I may not even get to my message, I'm sorry, <laughs> is um, church, when you say that word, it means much more than you ever could have imagined. There is a real church. There is a New Testament church that was created, that was vibrant, where people were so into what they were doing that their possessions didn't matter to them. If it meant someone went hungry, then we all shared. If it meant whatever. But, but at the same time, we were all growing and, and learning and, and not leaving someone beside. And, and maybe there was tough lessons. There was even church discipline where they had to say, hey, if you're going to keep behaving like that, we have to put you out of the church. And the reason is because the way God designed you is that once you're away from that fellowship, it's so hard to stay on your own that Satan will come in and keep doing things because you're allowed him to anyway. It's not God put sick and Satan on them. It's that they've been toying with this. And so the church put them out. And, and so finally they got to have their way because the church had gone to them a couple times trying to resolve this, and they didn't. And the thought is God saying, 
Maybe they'll get so desperate and realize this is not what they want that they'll turn and come back. Because you've tried to get them to come and they won't, so they come back. And then you've got the world saying, well, if a church is so loving, God's so loving, why would you put someone out of the church? But they have no problem in their job place when they're sitting next to someone across the aisle who won't do their job and their bosses are not being just and not disciplining them and they're having to do their work and they want someone to please hold that person accountable. But in the church, that's not allowed. It's just in the workplace. We want it because it fits us. And again, it comes down to if it works for us, we'll believe in it. If we find anything broken in it, we throw it out. I'm trying to reach all of us today. Anybody sitting here saying, man, did he talk to my friend before I came to church? Did he talk to someone about me? No. I'm telling you, I'm standing up here praising God, and I'm excited about this message I have because we're wrapping up a series on speaking in tongues and finally answering some questions and interpretation. And I want to get to this because next week we're doing two services and I want to move on to something else. But I can't ignore this gnawing in my spirit saying, you've got to bring this to these people. Come on, guys. I could have just as well have been 15, 16 years ago sitting at a bar with you drinking where I was at and, and talking about the party we're going to have. I'm no different than you. Okay? The difference in me is not me. It's Christ who lives in me. I let him have the opportunity with full faith, not, be, not because he answered every prayer I had. I didn't have some special benefit that he answered every prayer when I came back. No, there's a lot of discipline when I came back. There's a lot of him not answering. There's a lot of him hearing me whine and him being silent. But I was so tired of my life being a mess because I had a good home and I had a pastor as a father who was a godly man and I turned my back on that and I needed and so I was put out. Bible college kicked me out. Joined the Navy to run. The Navy kicked me out because God's man can't stay where he don't belong. Back Bible school. I, I, ha I had to finally finish something in my life. We had a conversation about that last night, and that's number two. Something I actually finished in life was Bible school. <laughs> I finished a house, and I finished Bible school. Everything else, I've done partially. But God will build this church, and that will be number three. There's something burning on my body right now, and it's the Holy Spirit telling me that someone today whether one or two of you need to have a revolution in your life. And you know what a revolution is? It's different than revival. Revival is reviving something that's dead. Revolution is throwing out the oppressor out of the kingdom and finally living free of that. You're oppressed. You know why? Because you're on Facebook seeing all the oppression in the world and everything and you're trying to take a stand on something, but everything you try falls. Or you walk away from it and you just feel uh, here's my word again, yucky inside. Facebook makes me feel yucky a lot inside because of the things I see happening. Even Christians, the, the battles we're picking and stuff that I'm like, come on, let's just get full of the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost lead us. People cannot combat when the Holy Spirit is all over you and you're able through a gift of the Spirit to also tell them something in their life that they never heard about. They're watching their, their uh, I was going to say sorcery, but they're watching their horoscope thinking that's going to tell them some real revelation in life. But then when you're able to walk in with the power of the Holy Spirit and say, I know that at three years old, your father molested you and you have not trusted man, woman, or child since then. And your whole thing between you and your heavenly father is because you can't trust anyone. Now, when the Holy Spirit does that, and you didn't know that person from Adam, now let the atheist tell you that God is not real. Oh, well, brother, the, the, there's ESP, and you've got to understand ESP. Well, I didn't have ESP until I started reading the Word of God. 
And then I got slain in the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And the Holy Spirit came on me. And then all of a sudden, I'm able to tune into these things in people's life. I didn't read anything on ESP. I'm not going to play that game, okay? I've already told you, it's so much easier for me to walk out these doors right now, go back. I don't even have to go back and not live for the Lord. I could just not pastor. I go ride my motorcycle to every event and feel good about myself that I'm ministering to all those people because for me, I can sit back and just watch bikes and tell people I'm ministering. We're not talking about titles, pastor, whatever. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about you having a vibrant relationship with the Lord that drives you to share it with others. We're talking about something that keeps you up at night because you're worried about your brother or sister of Christ who you're seeing things on Facebook. You think, I, th- I think they're going the wrong path. It's that holy discontentment that just says, I can't let go. My selfishness, my sinful nature wants me to walk away and let them do what they want to do because I got things going on tomorrow. I don't have time to go meet them for lunch to try to bail them out again about another mess they got them in. It's those kind of things. How does it make sense? It doesn't. In the world's eyes, all they're seeing about the church is what people are posting on a certain couple of major issues going on right now. And that's all they know about the church. And so the battle is over those two issues. Nobody's talking about the fact of how's your marriage doing? Your kids love you, and do they respect you? Do they honor you? Did you honor your mother and father? Do you have integrity in the workplace? Do you have integrity in your life? Do you strive to live by some principles that actually work and make someone live free of oppression? There are so many organizations trying to copy what God's doing, and they try to do it, and they, what they do is they use technology to throw out a, a touchy-feely video that makes you think that what they're doing is better than what God's got going on in the church. Until you really get in close to those organizations and find out that there's always someone making money. Oh, but Pastor CJ, so is the church. I didn't drive my truck today, but if you take a look at my truck, you'll know this is not about money. cowboy Cadillac that's about three different colors. I still love it, and I'm okay with that. I'm not looking for another one. Guys, I don't want to get sidetracked. And I don't know where this ends. There's a whole different altar call plan today uh, that I felt the Lord was leading. I don't think he was wrong. I think he just said not now. But some of you, this is life or death. And I mean spiritual life or death. I'm going through midlife crisis right now. I'm 41. I am. I realize some of my thoughts I've been having lately are because, like, this thing's half over here. <laughs> At best, half over. And I'll be one of those guys who lives 90 or whatever. But, you know, my conversation with my wife last night is, honey, I've done a lot of things, and I've not felt real successful at most. I said, you know, there's people I've been watching. Uh, Brian Jarrett, Pastor Jonathan Watson, our old pastor at James River, 10,000 people. Uh, John Lindell, who a lot of people on the outside will say big church and have all kinds of things. Well, I walked next to the guy and heard his conversation. He's a man of God. It's, it's through and through. He's a real deal. And I've watched them. Do I know anything about that man prior to that big success in his life? No. Pastor Lindell started as pastor of that church not the first pastor. They had 50 people meeting in a storefront. And when he went to try out for the church, he said, I almost didn't take it because there's such a move of God happening, I was afraid I'd mess it up. So when people ask him, what's your secret from growing a church to 10,000? He says, he gets almost upset. You can tell in his face, there's no secret. 
But I didn't do it. God did it. You've got to understand that or you'll miss what's going on here. He's not just being humble. It's true. When people are getting saved and baptized every week, they're, they're baptized that week, and then all of a sudden, a year later, I'm seeing them teaching a small group. They were raised up. All of a sudden, they're a mature Christian. They're not still over here in infancy. They're, they're growing. Things are happening. But I don't know anything about Pastor John Lindell. Uh, then we have a little connection through his old pastor. My dad used to, after his old pastor retired, he went to my dad's church. That's about all I know about his past. Brian Jarrett, I was in Bible college with him. He was a uber successful evangelist and pastor now. And, and before that, I don't know a lot about Brian Jarrett other than he started preaching at 16. I don't know a lot about Pastor Jonathan Watson other than he and his dad are like twins, only different ages. But he's a phenomenal preacher. Phenomenal. He's dedicated himself to the dividing of the word. He's an expositor. But I don't know a lot about Pastor Jonathan before. I told my wife, babe, I don't really care about anything remembering anything I've done to this point. But when I die, I want to be about the kingdom. I want to be successful at one thing. I don't want my focus to be everywhere. I want it to be on, on that one thing. And that's all I want to be remembered for. If the Lord doesn't come back beforehand, and people will ever visit my grave, I hope they don't. Waste of time. <laughs> but I ain't there. <laughs> but just know that my heart was beating for you and your spirit to be with me one day in heaven. I fail many days. I'm selfish many days. Have you ever gone home from a long day at work and you get on, whether you're a YouTube person or you got a TV station or you got something or electronics or otherwise, you got something you veg out? I'm the first person I could crawl in a hole every day after I get quit done interacting with people and not even after interacting with my family. I, by nature, am a selfish person who wants to spend all the time on me and, and shut the world out because I, I can't sometimes handle the emotional part of seeing where the world's going. But because of my time in the Scripture, because of my time in prayer, because there's a fire that burns, and then something raises me up and says, and that something is the Holy Spirit says, no, I've called you for greater things. Your job is not done. If it wasn't for me having my wife and kids want to be for, here for them, I'd be saying every day, God, take me now. Take me now. Get me out of here. Take me now. Beam me up. St. Scotty. <laughs> but get me out of here. Pastor Jim, I don't bring him up a lot because a lot of you didn't know him. In five minutes, you would love him. Passed away at 44 years old after a year and a half of starting this church. And on his deathbed told me, CJ, I'm not afraid to die. It's just I have so much more to do. And I feel like I haven't got enough time to finish it. And he went on to be with the Lord, feeling like I need to get back and minister to the people. Why in ISIS, getting ready to behead a Christian, will they sit there and know that at any moment they could say, I deny Christ, it's all a bunch of hooey, and I, I no longer follow him and save their life. Why will they let their head be cut off? Why will they go to their death with that? Oh, they're crazy. No. There's a lot of sane people who were known to be sane, some in high-ranking positions where people knew them to be a very sharp individual, and they could tell you a story about how God changed their life, and they're never the same, and for that they would die for. What would you die for? What does your life mean to you? What your, is your purpose in life? What are you going to do from this point forward? Who are you going to be? 
Does it not keep you up at night about what tomorrow brings? Does it not keep you up at night about what your next step is? When you start going through God's word, all of a sudden he begins to illuminate to you. Here's your next step. Here's what you're to be doing. And there's fulfillment that comes from that. There's joy of the Holy Spirit that comes in your life. And you're able to laugh, not momentarily just having a fun moment before the crud of work comes on, but day to day you realize, I have, I, my strength comes from the joy of the Lord in me. I had a chance to hear, again, I've heard it before, but the testimony of one of our guys in the Bond Slaves Motorcycle Club who, when he became a new Christian and was, he had been in prison and him and his cellmate had become Christians, but he was following them onto a motorcycle event and uh, his tire blew and he went end over end over end over end on that bike multiple times. His uh, girlfriend at the time, they, I don't think they're married yet, was nurse, rushed to his side, said pink foam, which meant that he was aspirating that death was near. He said, I can't breathe. And she began to pray, being a Christian believer, pray in the spirit. He took him to the hospital and he said, I have a brother getting his patches today. You're going to have to bands me up and I'm going to have to get on the road. They're like, there's no way. You're going to die. You're, you, they had x-rays where his legs were shattered. He shouldn't even be standing. And they, they still gave him crutches and they finally, he said, I'm leaving no matter what. You better fix me up and give me something. I'm going. He went. He said, at that moment, the service, these two punk-looking kids with green hair and piercings and all kinds of stuff came up to pray for him. He said, the most wild-looking teens you've ever seen. Came up and laid hands on him, praying in the Spirit, and told him, he said, you came in and you believed. Now you're healed. And he said he stood there for a moment. He moved both legs. Crutches dropped. He started to walk off. They said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to eat. I'm hungry. <laughs> and he was instantly healed. And they have the x-rays before shattered bones within a week's time and completely healed. And every time he's had x-rays since then, he's asked the daughter, doctors, can you see any indication of ever having a fracture? He goes, no, not at all. Again, how do you answer that? You want to meet the guy? You want to talk to him today? You still doubt? I'll put you on the phone with him. You need copies of x-rays? What is it going to take for God to get a hold of you and say, I am still a living, breathing God just because I don't come down on a cloud in your daily plan for the day and show myself so you can finally believe? See, there's an infinite wisdom we don't understand about God and why he doesn't do that. Because he did that in the flesh in Jesus and they still killed him for it. Man still put him to death with God walking on this earth saying, I am the Messiah and every one of his words being truth they still were able to doubt, pick it apart, and the religious leaders put him to death. So are you still wondering why God doesn't come down in a cloud tomorrow for you so you can finally believe that he's real and living? Because in a sinful world, what we don't understand is our minds, the way they work, when the devil is trailing, you got someone else twisting your mind, trying to make you doubt. And so no matter what God does, you're going to have to step out in faith finally sometime and say, look, I, I might have tried this program, it failed. I might have tried this thing and failed in my life. But on the biggest thing in my life, my eternity, I will finally, for once in my life, finish something and I will run the race and I will walk the path and I won't try to change it to fit me and I won't try to change this part of the program because it fits me better and I won't say that God condones this sin so that I don't look like a hater in the world and I won't change this because that's what the world wants us to do now. They want us, they want us to change the program and it still work for us. Well, it doesn't work that way. God is our all or nothing God. He knows exactly what's going to take you from here to eternity and he's not willing to lose you over some little debate because someone wants to live in sin and wants the world to approve of it. 
How does that not make sense to them? In their daily walks of work, it doesn't work in any other organization. It doesn't work in any other area of life. You can't do that. You have to have structure. You have to have a plan. God created that. Everything else is a, is a duplication, is an imitation of that. You don't, anyone who starts a business understands, I can't be all over the place with my beliefs and my, my vision and my goals and everything. I can't just keep changing it because people don't like it. Or it fails. God did that. He designed that. That's the way the world was created. He created you that way. That's why you have a desire to find truth. That's why right now in your soul there's something stirring. You want to finally believe and follow something and be successful at it, and you want to know that it's the one thing that's going to truly matter when you die. And you won't ever get away from that. No matter how hard you let your heart become, no matter how far you walk away, no matter how much you doubt, how much you argue, no matter what you follow, until you come in alignment with God's word. And finally, because he created you, let your spirit become alive like it was meant to be, free. It's going to be spiritual unrest from here on out. We, um, we are a church among many churches in this area. New Song is just one. There's a lot of them. Praise God, we're going to two services. That means that we're walking together and we're adding some to us, okay? That means that maybe we're, we're not claiming we have any corner on the market or anything here. It's God's word. I'm trusting God's doing it. We're not here. We don't have a lot of programs, so I know it's not because of the programs. We don't have a lot of other flash. It's, it's hopefully that we love God's word. We love him. We're going together. And those who are still doubting are willing to hang in long enough to see whether we're real or not. I hope that's it. There's a large church over here, so I'm sure are reaching people here. There's a church down the street. I'm, I'm sure reaching people. There's others. It's not about new song being the best among churches. It's about new song and the people who are new song getting closer to the one true God and their life with him being the best it can be. To never stop, to never think you've arrived, to never believe you know more about the Bible than know enough that you can stop. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. And the hunger, and God grows you, and he, he gets you past that point. And I remember standing next to, please don't get mad at me, honey, for saying this, but my, my wife, who was my, girl, or my friend at the time, and her boyfriend, standing next to them in a church, bawling my eyes out because I've been living in sin. I remember the conviction of the Holy Spirit emptying me and the feeling like everything was just coming out and I'm not trying to be gross but snot and these tears and everything and and this physiological reaction to something that was boiling my spirit and I'm letting it all out and them taking me to eat and stuff and just like what's wrong with this guy and the girl I was dating at the time they tried to take us bowling we about killed each other and about got kicked out of there they ready to throw bowling balls at me they, my life was a mess and they stuck with us and fortunately, when both of our relationships ended, God knew what he was doing because I found the best woman in the world. You see, I believed that I didn't deserve someone like her then. I still feel humbled that I don't feel that way sometimes, but see, God knew what I needed. You know, I started praying that I would have a good wife when I was like 16. That was the thing that was important to me. More than what I was going to do for a job, I wanted... The same kind of family my mom and dad had. I want to have kids and wife. And there's times I really believe God was thumbing his nose at me because of the dating relationships I had. And really, what I realize now is like, you should have just spent your time and kept your money and done other things and all that dating. And I would have brought you around to her eventually. 
It just took me longer because you kept goofing up. That's what I believe he was saying. Like, you should have seen all... I, when I get to heaven, I think God's going to say, you should have seen. It's like a chess game. You should have seen what I had to do to counteract your moves to get you to her. He's probably got like this board up there of here's my most challenging moments and I'm going to have my picture up there. C.J. Brummett. And here's going to be a list and my brother-in-law and everybody else is giving me a hard time about my day. I told you, even God was laughing. I've told this many times. I had a friend that I grew up with that showed up at my wedding and started walking around telling people, I'm just here to see if he really goes through with it. And he wasn't trying to be funny. He was serious. He really expected me to take off running or something. You see, what I'm trying to get through to you is that I don't know some of you real well. But I know you're here for some reason today. Maybe somebody drugged you. Maybe somebody, uh, you know, I've heard people say I had a drug problem as a kid. I was drugged to church, a drug home. Something happened, but you're here, and God knew, and he has strategically been planning this day for you. And he even derailed my plan for this service to get through to you today. He even upset my plan that I really wanted to do today for service so we could kind of keep on schedule for two services next week. He messed that all up for you. So where does this go from here? Well, after service, I'm going to go eat some Mexican food and then I'm going to get back to my daily life and I'm going to be here for you and walk life for you. And what your choice is, is maybe I don't know what comes next, but now I found a place where someone is willing to walk with me and help me. Am I always going to do what you want me to do? No. If you come and ask me for 50 bucks today because you need help, I'm going to say, I don't have 50 bucks, and I'm going to be honest. So we're not going to always have our way. But what I'm going to say is, but I'll still be here tomorrow. You may find your 50 bucks from someone else, but I'll be here tomorrow for you, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and all eternity. How about that? Let's do that. Now, I'm trying to make that promise, but only God knows. I pray and trust him. I never fail, and I never end up as one of those people that disappointed you. But I'm going to tell you, please don't keep your eyes on me because I'm still a man. Keep your eyes on God. All the churches, all the people, they're all broken too. And just because you don't know what's going on in your life, you can't assume that because they've done you wrong that, they're, that God doesn't exist. Because we're just all broken somewhat. Let's pray. Jesus, I prayed this morning as we are in worship that you would take my mouth and use me as a mouthpiece. And then you immediately gave me what to say. And Lord, I'm standing here humbled, just having a conversation with you in front of these people, saying, thank you, Lord, that one more time you helped me to obey. I don't want emotion. I don't want emotion for emotion's sake. I want, if there's any emotion today, God, I want it to be because hearts are being changed. If there's really something tangible that's happening in a life. And I have the thought that somebody could walk out of this when even myself, I'm convicted by what you gave me. Going through this place, we won't have any distractions from the enemy. So, in the name of Jesus, we bind the tips of Satan by the blood of the Lamb. I'm not going to make a big flowery speech here. You've heard everything I have to say. I'm just going to tell you these wooden altars up here may look like benches to you, but those steps you take from your seat to these benches what it does is it forces your heart to get over pride to get over the things in your life that have held you up all the time and for you not to walk out of here the same so if you need to be at these altars I'm just going to say come now and you work it out with God